0: This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station.
1: This is Afternoons on Dubai Eye 103.8.
2: Helen Farmer with you and lots on today's show as we were asking, do you hate your job? We had three experts when it came to men's mental health in the workplace, live on the line, asking how it defines identity, what to do if you do hate your job, when should you stay and when should you go? We had Paralympic swimmer and author Jessica Smith with us, talking about disability awareness and inclusion, and one Dubai Mum on a mission to spread awareness around bullying. Plus, if you're looking to net walk, it was LinkedIn on Legs with Girls Who Walk. The Sunday scaries hit like clockwork. Every weekend you dread opening up your laptop, your computer. Um, you get anxiety thinking about your emails, the meetings, the to-do lists. Maybe you can't bring yourself to get out of bed in the morning. So what do you do if you hate your job? There are many different reasons why that might be the case. It could be your relationship with your boss or your manager. It could be company culture, mismatching values. It could be burnout, increased workload and a poor like work-life balance. But whatever the reasons are, there are some factors that can... They can contribute and some control that you can take. And while you might feel stuck, you're definitely not alone. We're talking about job satisfaction today, societal pressures and identity with not one, not two three experts live on the line. We're going to be speaking to Dr. Matthew McCourt, clinical psychologist at SAGE. We're also joined by Hamza Zwali. He is a career coach, an author, a headhunter and we're going to be speaking to uh, man of the hour um, on all things mental health. We've got Manny, the co-founder of Men's Group Mentality speaking about your own experiences Manny. Are you okay to tell us a little bit about Absolutely. what you went through
0: in this space? Absolutely. So I think for... Um, Most of my life, actually, I I kind of was taught through seeing my mom and and family work really, really hard uh, that success was in, you know, how high within the career ladder you you can climb. Um, So naturally, when I got to working, that was what I wanted to do. I I remember at the age of maybe 14, 15, telling myself, you know, I want to be like a CEO of a massive company by the time I was there. Um, So when I actually started working that was all i that that was the the destination that i needed to get to and i got most of the way there i was almost there um but and the big but is when it all came crashing down it was about trying to understand who i was as an individual mm-hmm. and because all the pillars of who i was because my whole identity was kind of stemmed in um my success Um, And then as a spillover of my success, how much I could help my family, when it all kind of fell off, um, I thought I'd failed. The truth is I hadn't, but I thought I'd failed. And then I spiraled and I spiraled and I spiraled. And unfortunately, I happened to be in Dubai. I say unfortunate because unlike the UK, in Dubai, there isn't much help.
2: It's also complicated in terms
0: of your ability to be here without a job. Correct. Um, and for nine months, I sat in a room with the curtains closed and did what I do best to think. And it, it yeah, it, it drove me to the point of almost not wanting to continue living. Um, luckily, I made it out the other side. Uh, and I know it doesn't happen that way for everyone, but mm-hmm. I did. And... That led me to starting Mentality, which is a platform where we aim to make it okay for people to be vulnerable in such a way where they never have to feel alone, and that they can come to us and we can we can figure it out, even if it's just to lend a li- listening ear.
2: Thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate it. We're going to talk more about mentality in the community there. I wanted to bring in uh, Dr. Matthew McCourt, a clinical psychologist at Sage. Um, can I ask you, Doctor, what do we need to know about m- well, men in particular and how they view themselves in the workplace? That identity piece, and you know, alluding there to finances and responsibility.
3: Yeah, Um, really good question. And thanks for having me as well. I'm delighted to be here. I think um, the thing that we need to consider, I mean, Manny, you talked about it there yourself, um, is around how we view ourselves and what we're taught about what success means as we're growing up, right? So you've, you've said there yourself, Manny, that growing up, you were told that being successful is climbing high, is kind of providing, is doing this, is doing that. So already those goals and those kind of ideas are already becoming instilled within who we view ourselves as and what we view success to be. But then I think one of the other things that um, can kind of get in the way, certainly when it comes to men and when it comes to men experiencing difficulties, is this idea of boys don't cry, men don't cry, man up, just get on and deal with it. So that kind of stiff upper look mm-hmm. that we can come up against in in kind of society, certainly in the UK and in other cultures around the world as well. And I think that can become quite a huge block to men actually opening up when they experience some difficulties, because there's an an idea that, well, if I ask for help or if I say that I'm struggling, that means that I'm weaker, that means that I'm lesser than. And that's a, a horrific place to be in.
2: Um, can I ask you, Hamza, when it comes to people that you come across professionally as a career coach and a headhunter, do you meet people who are trapped in jobs they hate but might be constrained by a good salary but hating the work?
4: Plenty of time, actually. This is um, essentially a lot of people come to me to discuss exactly that. I don't like my job. I hate it. I don't want to go to work. But I've got a family, got a mortgage. I've got responsibilities. And I've been looking for work. I can't find something that I really like, and I guess my my number one straight answer is always: Are you saying that whatever you need, whatever you like, must be a job? That's kind of super, really reducing the amount of choices you can have. No, but I thought that I found my passion, and, and and then the the game is going to be about re positioning things so for example your passion I I always say to people don't work in your passion (laughs) I always say to people um, find a job where you can actually do your passion or any passion whether it changes or not any passion after works but don't sell your passion don't turn it into a job because it, it will no. Lo- it will cease to be a passion. It will. It will be attached to responsibilities, targets, pressure, stress, work.
2: It sounds. And, and forgive me if I'm misinterpreting. It sounds a bit like kind of removing the power from jobs. A little bit can be really Completely. liberating. Does that does that make sense? It's
4: absolutely that. It's when we spend most of our hours at work. I mean, day wise, we spend most of our hours at work. Uh, after school, we spend most of our time at work um socializing and this is very very important but the moment this becomes the center of your universe this is where you are into a trap and it's a trap that's going to close on you within years within months within whatever you're going to speak about your job after work to your dear one Mm -hmm. that's going to be you know this is this is one of the symptoms where you say hang on don 't you have any other area of interest? This is extremely important, so the number one thing that I say to people is well first of all don 't put that much importance to your job it 's a job all right' now let 's think about what you always wanted to do let 's think about socially spending time with me let 's think about who you are i 'm not saying you 're a director you're you 're you know a consultant or I'm saying who you are as a whole, holistically, mm-hmm. father, friend, husband. Who are you and how can you be better at that? What Do you enjoy these parts of your life? Would you like to spend more
2: are and you prioritizing those parts of your life as
4: well mm-hmm. and 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 the more it's an effort because it's a little bit like a muscle your your brain is almost like triggered by only thinking about job 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 stress comes you have your notification after work you have your notification emails whatsapp whatever it, it, it's just constantly bombarding you and then and then the question obviously from from the dear one um how was your day at work oh no they, they, we need to, 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 to stop that. I money. think this is dangerous.
0: I think one of the things that we are becoming very good at um, uh, advocating in mentality is that whole concept of, okay, well, purpose, yeah. right? And, and understanding what your purpose is, that is outside of what it is that you, you you earn money for, but understanding what your purpose is. And what Hamza said is very true, is can I live life and can I go through life noticing that I'm bringing some kind of impact to someone's life and that's not always in a place where you are earning a salary that might just mean that you're applying yourself now one of the things that i tell a lot of people that i work with um is that by applying yourself just simply from the fact that you're enjoying it there are benefits that can come that may be salary or that may be fulfillment but Mm -hmm. either way you're going to go away from it really really happy
2: Oh, we've got lots of questions coming in here and on uh, basically we're, we're, we're addressing work, big topics today, but hating your job um, and a message here saying I've grown to hate the hours between 7 a.m. and 6 p.m. A boss who's emotionally checked out, no sign of progress, promotional pay rise, and little time to find purpose or value out of the office. I don't know what I'm asking really, but I'm feeling hopeless. We're going to be addressing that. Um, and we've had a message, and just touched on this, Hamza, from a wife whose husband is a teacher. He's finding it really stressful, but it's all he talks about. So maybe, uh, maybe Dr. Matthew can help us next on that. We have a trio of experts live on the line. Dr. Matthew McCourt, clinical psychologist at SAGE, is with us as well. We've got author, career coach, headhunter Hamza Zwali and Manny with us from Mentality Men's Group. Um, I wanted to come to you, Dr. Matthew, because we're talking there about being really unhappy in roles. And I I wondered what are some of the signs that a situation might be taking a serious toll on mental health? Can you speak to that and, and just how common that is coming into clinic?
3: Yeah, um, I think the workplace, I mean, as we've already discussed, the workplace is where we spend quite a lot of time um, in our day. So if you're not in a supportive or in a psychologically safe workplace, the impact that that can have is, you know, kind of astronomical. I think it's fairly common that we would see people in clinic who have some sort of difficulty with with work, whether that's kind of stress management or targets, especially in kind of very competitive and very target driven um, work environments, the impact then that, that that can have on people's mental health. I mean, it's from any anywhere from, you know, kind of stress, anxiety, low mood, depression, burnout um, to, you know, some more severe kind of mental health difficulties. Mm-hmm. Some of the signs probably that it's starting to take a toll, I suppose you want to be looking at, you know, is there any change in your own Emotional state? Is there any change in your behaviors? Um, is there any change in your relationships as well? You know, are you, be, are you becoming more snappy at home? Or are you becoming more isolated in yourself? Um, are you, you know, starting to notice any kind of negative thought patterns around? I'm no good. I can't do this. I can't keep going. Any sort of symptoms of imposter syndrome as well about, you know, everybody else seems to be doing so much better than I am. I'm going to get found out. Mm-hmm. Um, the symptoms can be, can you know, wide and varied. But I suppose it's what we want to be looking at is, is there a change in your general day to day functioning over the past you know, week, couple of weeks, couple of months, it can it can be a kind of wide time span as well.
2: Just been hearing there from Hamza about kind of taking the power away from a job's ability to to make you miserable. And it's easier said than done, to be honest. But I think, you know, we love the idea of compartmentalising our life and leaving the, the unhappiness at work. But it does spill over into our personal life. It spills over into our relationships. And we've had a message here, um, no name in it saying my husband's a teacher, finds it really stressful and is finding life with two kids stressful as well. I want to be supportive and help him, but sometimes it feels like every conversation we have circles back to how hard he finds his job and it's getting me down. We always talk about his job and it gets a bit much. I'm wondering if he is a bit depressed. I guess I'm asking, is it a reasonable request to try and limit how much we end up talking about his work? I know we need someone to talk to, but honestly all our conversations are based around how difficulty finds life, and i 'm finding it exhausting Manny, could you speak to that point to this because um, I have to say that sound it sounds incredibly frustrating
0: it, it must be, and I can only imagine for, for um, both parties absolutely um, but but as I was saying before, one of the things that we advocate is wise counsel or general counsel of of men sometimes it 's easier for us to get into a circle of people uh, and talk about some of the things that we're feeling, which is something that men don't do. Women do it very, very often. They'll, they'll do it with their friends. They'll do it with their their, their parents. They'll do it with anyone who
3: genuinely I mean, wants to listen.
0: Um, but as men, we see it as a sign of weakness, as uh, Dr. Matthew said before. Um, actually, accepting the fact that something's wrong is, uh, or that there is vulnerability there is, is often seen as a weakness. So, what we do at Mentality is we, we create these environments where people can come and have unadulterated, unprejudiced conversation um, about anything. Uh, and then, within that um, um, environment, what we say to them is okay, cool, let it out let us actually allow you to realize what it is and by doing so you kind of disarm the situation a little Mm bit um but it's is it's men should find places where they can have good counsel and good conversations not just to sit around and have this woe is me kind of each other down correct no No, but but i would imagine there's a
2: huge amount of power in understanding that not everyone else Loves their job. Other Correct. people are having a tough time because we don't talk about that. You know, we really don't, and it's a bit like Instagram, or in this case, possibly, you know, probably more LinkedIn. We're not saying today was rough. I didn't hit my target. Mm-hmm. It's more like here I am on stage. Here I've just got this award. I'm really pleased to announce. You know, my so next true. promotion, Hamza. What would you What would you say to to, to that?
4: Yeah, it's hundred percent true. I think I think what I wanted to add is, uh, to add to to what's been said already is that um, fortunately or unfortunately, men. um drive the self-worth through suffering through struggle like if it's too easy uh, if I'm not working if I'm being lazy I, I'm you know I'm gonna lose my self-worth um, in the eyes of my family in like seeing myself suffering or struggling to achieve a certain goal for the purpose of providing just the fact that I'm suffering means I'm doing my job now the you you'll find that you know in the example that you mentioned, where the the husband is a teacher, he's not happy and he's constantly complaining. I think that what I would say to to perhaps the wife is is to actually start recognizing how tough, so that he doesn't have to mention it. Mm-hmm. Um, remove it from him, so that you, you know if you have kids, you you would do comments like, "Dad is doing a really difficult job. He's doing it for us," uh, because the moment suddenly this is taken off the table then 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 he can focus on something else the problem is that he's in this loop you know i find myself worth and suffering so i have to keep complaining and 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 on and on and, and i'm gonna go to work and i'm gonna only gonna see the the wrong thing because that's gonna be material for me to further complain later on
2: i think it's one thing to have a, a, a and don't get me wrong i love a moan i'm british i love a moan <laughs> um but if that moan you know leads on to being like okay Phew, got out my system now we can move on but if it is as you said you know early one, you just kind of dragging this downward spiral you're know, not able to break out of it then maybe it is time to you know seek some counsel outside of that relationship yeah, there,
0: there needs to be some solution orientation within yeah, this momentum. one thing that i will disagree with hamza on mm. is a wife taking away the the, the issue and saying oh is is daddy's got a real you know difficult job because that think is it's more, more pressure not that but it, it becomes a little bit um it's not disarming It becomes a a little bit more like, okay, well, you're not even giving me the chance to offload the situation that I'm going through. Um, And I I say that from the many men that I've worked with uh, from a coaching perspective who have said, okay, well, my wife is incredibly supportive. But that within itself means I've got nowhere else to go. So I'm, I'm trapped in the office. And then I'm trapped at home because I've got no one to offload to. When really I should be coming home, and that should be my haven. That should be my escape.
2: Oh, there's a lot to unpick, and we've we've got a lot of messages that we're going to have a bit of a quick fire round on the text line next. If you don't mind joining us from Sage Clinics, we've got clinical psychologist Dr Matthew McCourt, Hamza Zawali, author, headhunter and career coach, the MD at Iris Executives, and Manny from Mentality with us live. something of a round table on the show this afternoon and it's turned into a conversation around men's identity and and roles and what to do if you hate your job, to be honest, which seems to be a bit of a theme that's emerging on the text line. So we're going to have a bit of a quick fire round and help out as many people as possible. We've got three experts with us today. Dr. Matthew McCourt is a clinical psychologist at Sage Clinics. We've got Manny from Mentality Men's Group and also joining us in studio on the career front, we've got headhunter, we've got coach and we've got author Hamza Zuwali. So um, a message here, which isn't so much a question as such, but I think it's something that's very common saying, I've just resigned from my job, but more realistically, I've resigned from a terrible manager. The job itself is good. Hamza, is this a, is this a, f- a frequent occurrence? That's a, a, more about the people than the than the place.
4: It's most of the time the only occurrence. I mean, there's there's exceptions, of course. But if you if you think that culture is directly derived to, from leadership, um, you know, people leave people. They don't leave a company. They don't leave colleagues. They leave people toxic people that put you down mm-hmm. and. I would say perhaps the the most difficult part. I'm just going to play the devil's advocate a little bit. The most difficult part of being a boss is that I remember myself as a lousy boss in the beginning. I have to say it now with hindsight. I'm I'm you know I can say that the the nobody teaches you. You 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 just literally hey congratulations you're a boss. <laughs> Here's your business card. Off you go exactly. And then you emulate. You just do what you seen others do Mm -hmm. you try and think you try and be and you feel like oh my god someone just gave me a kind of a superhero cape and i don't know if i can wear it i'm gonna try to not break things because now i have more powers but you end up breaking things without knowing and most of the hurt that you do the most of the pain that you cause are going to be silent they're going to be insidious and you're not going to be aware until it's too late so It's tough. Well,
2: let's speak to that, actually, because G's been in touch saying, Hi all, any advice for addressing a toxic work environment? Every colleague I speak to is miserable, talks openly about trying to leave, and the whole culture is awful. It's such an unhappy environment to be in, and I dread going in every single day. I'm in my late 50s and don't feel like a career change would suit. Any advice? Should I just ride out the storm? Manny, having spoken to many people, I'm sure, in your community in a similar situation, how much can this go on to affect your life when you talk about dreading going into work?
0: It can absolutely. I mean, we spend most of our days at, uh, at the office or within our relevant workplaces, so it can absolutely affect your wife. Uh, your wife? <laughs> your, your life. Also your wife. <laughs> <laughs> um, it can affect your life. And I think most people generally, when they do leave their relevant workplaces, do not leave work they, they carry it home mm-hmm. and in this scenario where we're talking about work somewhat making up part of your identity that then just carries and drags and drags and drags um simply put the easiest advice if you're not happy leave
2: <laughs> hamza what would you say can you i mean how much power does a person have to change a toxic environment because it starts to become this unconscious bias you start looking for the rubbish stuff you have a certain misery loves company mentality like That's well if you think you've of, had a yeah. bad day well i've mm-hmm. had I, this is what happened to me
4: yeah the, and It's a trap, isn't it? So so the first thing I say to people, whether they are in position of leadership or not, I would say cultivate vulnerability. Just say things. Just say that that was hurtful. I I was really shocked by what you said. That saddened me. I was a bit disappointed. I'd like to have a conversation with you. Establish a culture among your colleagues of voicing things out. You have no idea, Helen, how many times... When I was a lousy boss, I hope it, it's I can use the past now. <laughs> uh, when I when I had people that came to me and said, Hamza, you, you can't say that, Hamza, you can't do that. I know you. We know you're stressed. Okay, speak to me, guys. And I, and I would be like, speak to me. So
2: you you were happy to be made accountable,
4: but that was either that or something worse. Losing Same my arm. people. Mm-hmm. That is the ultimate failure for me as it as and i'm sure it's the same with everyone is losing important people is the ultimate failure for the for a boss so he will or she will listen because if you say hey we we have a few things that would like to to share with you we hope that this is and especially as a group now as a group you're safer than just by yourself because you don't know how the other person's going to react right but he can't fire 15 people today no can do
2: Oh, Matthew McCourt, I wanted to ask you um, a little bit about the role of a professional. Uh, you know, you're a clinical psychologist. We touched on earlier some of the signs that, you know, a job, a situation can be creeping into, you know, mental health in general. Um, what would you say to someone who goes, well, my problem isn't a mental health problem, it's a job problem? You know, how, how do you help people in clinic in terms of mindset and how that can have a knock on effect on their career?
3: Mm-hmm. I think there's a, it's a very good point. You know, the problem isn't a mental health problem. It's a it's a job problem. That might be the case in the, you know, kind of foundation of it all. But I suppose that what we would be asking is, all right, okay, so you've got a problem with your job, but actually what impact is it having on you? And that's what we want to be looking at. You know, that's where we want to be working with because there's only so much that you can change in a work environment. And, you know, specifically um, or especially given positions, you know, if you're in a position of more seniority, you can affect more change. You can bring about the change that you know that you want to see within the workplace. But if you don't have that um, level of, of seniority, then you know it can feel that you're in a bit of a powerless position, and that in itself can be quite um, quite detrimental to your mental health. But I suppose mm-hmm. even though you 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 can pinpoint um, your job or your workplace or your office as being the cause of the stressors or the the problem, quote unquote. It's more about the impact that it's having on you. Um, And this isn't to say that you're at fault for having those feelings or you're at fault for being affected. Not at all. It's saying there's something there in your environment that you feel either powerless to be able to control or that you feel is having a a negative impact on your well-being. And so how can we address that? Mm -hmm. How can we give you the tools and the skills to be able to either decide what it is you want to do, whether that's stay there and, you know, use new coping mechanisms or Think about other alternatives, and if it does stay there, then what can we what can we put in place? How can we build you up so that you can go into work? And yes, the environment might not change, but actually your response to it might be able to be cha- to change a wee bit.
2: Yeah, that's good insight, Hamza. What would you say to that?
4: It's very true. I Completely agree. I think I think a good reminder is is that there's only uh, three things you can do about something you don't like. Only three. Either you change it, you can. If you can change it, let's work towards changing it. Or you just live with it. You cope, you ride the storm, or you leave it. But that's the only three things. The problem is when people can't make that decision, they get stuck. But the reality is you have three choices there. I mean, I would be all in for trying to change it with vulnerability because what what tends to happen with the vulnerability is openness and instead of talking behind, suddenly it becomes a brainstorm for solution and, and you address it. If it doesn't work, then you have the only two choices, deal with it or leave.
2: Let's see if we can help out this listener who's saying, I love my job. However, my new boss is making my life miserable. We recently hired a new member who used to work with him. So there's a previous relationship there. I'm the boss of the new person, but they talk and meet um, with my with my boss. It's seriously making me want to quit despite the fact I love the place. I'm not sure if I should just suck it up or leave. So, I mean, It sounds like it's coming back to communication and 100%. vulnerability I, I, there. I, I,
4: if I was that boss, I would die for you to tell me that. I would be so upset myself if you were to leave because it sounds like you're an amazing employee um, and you love your company. Um, but I would I would pay money for me to know what's in your head right now. Mm-hmm. I swear and, and, and please consider speaking that to, to your boss about this and how uh, how you want to understand how he made his choice.
2: Guys, we've run out of time. I'm so sorry. I well, we actually have so many more questions we could have got to. But a message here is saying, um, I found men's group in Dubai super helpful for speaking with other men with similar workplace problems and talking it through. So I didn't burden my wife it was so much more helpful and I'm so much better for it. Manny, for anyone that wants to find a group such as yours or including yours, what's the best way of getting in touch?
0: Absolutely. So we are um, contactable on all social platforms. It's Mentality Podcasts. Um, mentality underscore podcast DXB, Um can reach out to us. Uh, we are happy to put you in touch with other um, groups out there as well. Um, but it is important that you look for people and places where you can go and, and feel part of a community um, and that those communities have some kind of solution orientation within them.
2: Good point. If you want details, you can just send me the word man or manny and I'll send you that. Um, (laughs) Dr. Matthew, thank you so much for your time today. We'd love to have in the studio next time. um, So much more to talk about on this topic. And In the meantime, you can find Dr. Matthew McCourt at Sage Clinics. And Hamza, I always ask you this. If anyone wants to book some time with you, you always say no. Read the book instead. Yeah, for tell sure. Us, just tell us very quickly about how to find your book. What title are we searching it's for? It's on
4: Amazon. It's called The Thirty Days Job Search. It's a story of someone that's miserable lives mm. in Dubai, and 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 you know the job search is made through her eyes and her experience um, instead of a patronising do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that. This is this is a, a a really good story I think
2: and some super practical advice 30 um, day job search supercharge your resume renew your motivation secure and succeed at job more, a, a job interviews and negotiate your salary too a good topic for another day Hamza <laughs> thank you so much everyone for joining us today it's been thank really you fascinating for us. and thank you for everyone who got in touch wishing you all the very best um, if you want to listen again if you think this conversation will be useful for someone in your life the podcast will be available soon We're joined now by Jessica Smith, Australian Paralympic swimmer, internationally recognised advocate for body positivity, diversity and inclusion. She's the author of the Just Jessica book series, which aims to start conversations around disability awareness and acceptance of all differences. Thank you so much for being with us today Jessica, how are you? I'm well thank you so much for having me. Tell us a
1: little bit about your uh, your arm, what's going on over there? So I have a new bionic arm by a company called Covey and it's essentially a prosthetic limb and the hand itself has quite advanced technology in the computer system which essentially responds to the muscles in my forearm I tell my muscles to move, obviously, with my, my brain, and it then sends a signal to the computer in the hand to cycle through different grips and movements. So, wow. Yeah, it is quite incredible. And especially for me, I haven't used a device for about 30 years, so it wasn't an easy decision for me to make. Um, a lot of people assume that it's made my life much easier, but it's actually really challenging. The because, big adjustment. Yeah. I mean, I was born missing my arm, and so I have to train myself into thinking that I actually have two. And And, you know, it it is quite um, a complex thought process. Mm -hmm. And then for my body and for my brain and everything to respond at the same time, Um, having said that, you know, the technology is so advanced. And so that combination of technology and the mind and the body being such powerful, wonderful things is quite extraordinary. How do you think that technology
2: might have changed your experiences if you'd had it as a child? Because I I know this company is working with younger
1: people as well. Tell us a little bit about growing up in that sense. Well, when I was a young child, I did use a prosthetic limb from the age of about 18 months through till I was about seven. But I actually had a really terrible accident when I was two. I used my prosthetic limb to reach up to grab a biscuit in the kitchen. But because I couldn't feel or detect heat, I didn't realise I'd knocked a freshly boiled kettle onto myself. So I sustained third degree burns to 15% of my body as a result of this technology and this so-called age. I mean, the technology back then is nothing like what it is today, but it certainly left me with this idea that I didn't need devices. I didn't need technology in order to be the best version of myself. Mm -hmm. And in some ways, I kind of made a name for myself and a career, as I guess you would say, based on not needing the help of other people. And so I've gone full circle because I do see now that there's a lot of Wonderful conversations around how technology can advance the life of people living with a disability, but it's not that I'm dependent on it. So mm-hmm. that's obviously the main message. Yeah, that's
2: interesting to think about being enhancing because you're
1: relearning in, in, some, yes. in some ways. Wow, okay. So
2: tell us, I mean, as I said earlier, you are an inclusion advocate, you're doing amazing work here in the UAE and internationally, but What did inclusion look like for you growing up? I feel like it's still a bit of a
1: modern word and phenomenon in some ways. It is very much still a modern word. When I was growing up, I didn't really know what inclusion was. I guess for me, there was a sense of exclusion. So it wasn't as if I was exclusively bullied, but I had this major sense of not being accepted and a sense of not belonging, whether that was in my school community or the wider community where I lived in Australia. And that stemmed from a lack of education and the lack of awareness by society of understanding what disability is and how a person with a disability can contribute to their community and I guess for me I was trying to very much battle with my own identity physically but also my role in my family and in my community and I struggled very much so as a young child and certainly in my adolescence because I was trying to fit into a world that wasn't made for somebody like me, you know, and to fit into those parameters of what society says is perfection and beautiful. And when you don't see yourself represented in mainstream media or in the books that you read, it's very, very difficult to try and pinpoint, you know, who you are as a person, even though... Deep down, I had all these dreams and aspirations. It was trying to convince the rest of the world that I needed to be valued.
2: So Jessica, what do we need to know about your experiences at that time to understand what your mission is now?
1: In particular with young children around this idea of inclusivity and acceptance, it's never too early to start these conversations. I think that's really important for parents and for adults to know is that what has been considered as taboo and topics that have got a lot of stigma around disability and people of determination, we need to be working with young children in order to empower them and give them a sense of self-confidence so that they're able to have empathetic conversations with people who are different Mm -hmm. and and for me that was something that was lacking a lot when I was growing up and so there's a responsibility on all of us to be part of that really important conversation. Jess Smith with us today just saying that she wasn't represented in mainstream media in books
2: and uh, she's done something about it we're talking about the Just Jessica book series next Joining us live in studio now is Paralympic swimmer, author, inclusive advocate Jessica Smith. We're talking about some of the conversations that our kids come back from school with off the back of her Just Jessica book series. The first one is focusing on that, getting into the classroom, and message here from Julie saying, Thank you, Jessica, for such a helpful reminder on how hard it can be to be different. Tell us a little bit about the decision to write the Just Jessica book
1: series. I was pregnant with my first child, Isla, who is eight next week, and I realised there was such a lack of diversity in the characters that I saw in the children's books. And I realised, of course, that there was even more lack of diversity when I was growing up. And so I thought if I had had the opportunity to read about a character that looked like me, I'm sure that would have not necessarily changed things in my life but at least given me an opportunity to give myself more of a voice at a Mm. younger age. And so I thought I would write... A a story about a little girl with one arm on her first day at school. So essentially, the main character, Jessica, is about me and about that first experience of noticing difference at a young age as all young kids do you know so many children have started school again this week or going back to school starting my my son is just studying fs1 and so they do see difference however they don't necessarily see it in the same way as we do as adults that's so interesting that that kind of lens
2: adjusts as we get older for, for them it's very factual as for us it can be really emotionally loaded and quite awkward to talk about so the books have come a really valuable tool, I think, for an awful lot of parents. And I feel like maybe you could speak to that on kind of drawing on your own experiences and how you're hoping to use them as a bit of a conduit, I guess.
1: Absolutely. So I used to, you know, see the, the stares and the points from other children, but also the shushes and the hushes from parents when their children were asking questions. And so what I really hope that these books are able to do is to ignite conversations with parents and children, teachers and children, about how we can talk about difference and disability and acceptance. And the basic and very simple answer to that is to talk about it organically
0: and mm-hmm. honestly.
1: So if your child, for example, was to see me at the school or in the shopping centre and they were to say, mum, dad, that lady only has one hand. Or that lady's got a really badass cool robotic bad hand. Yes, Exactly. <laughs> the best response is to just say yes. She does, to validate what they see so that in that moment we don't say, oh, shush, we have to talk about this later. Because then and there you set the scene that there's something wrong. There's something that we can't talk about right now. We have to leave this for another time. So automatically you create a sense of uneasiness in the child. And so we need to avoid that. And unfortunately, that then triggers some of our own, as you said, the discomfort and the fear and the... the, unconscious bias that perhaps we have as adults on how to approach that. But for me, talking to young children, um, they're by far the most beautiful audience because they do just say what they see. And we want to encourage that because this is going to help the conversations within their generation. And I truly believe that they're going to help change the perspectives for the way society sees difference in disability for many, many years to come. And it needs to be open and honest. And so just that level of validation, trying not to put emotion around that. I did have one young girl in a school here in Dubai who told me that she felt very sorry for me. And I knew that that sort of statement had come from somewhere else. And so I told her, you know, I am very happy. My life is incredible and I've achieved so much because of the fact that I live with a disability. And you could see her trying to, you know, comprehend what I was saying. But we have to be so careful of adults about what we say and how we act because our children are watching absolutely everything. Thank you for that.
2: I think that's really, really genuinely useful for a lot of parents because the last thing we ever want to do is, as you say, kind of project our own you know, our own experiences or what's been put to us and resulting in taboo and shame and, and stigma, which is something that it sounds like you experienced growing up so a chance i think for a bit of a fresh start and i feel like there's an awful lot being done in in dubai in fact i just got news today um that Motiongate green planet have just uh, just achieved the certified autism destination designation now you do an awful lot of work around inclusivity in schools but also in corporate with workshops what do you th- what would you love to see you know, in
1: attractions, restaurants, and even in
2: schools to, you know, further support people of determination?
1: Well, this recognition and this, you know, validation towards that um, is so important. It's around being understanding and being open to the idea of different ways of being and offering services and being able to work within organisations that have the opportunity for their employers or for family members of employees to have environments that are more sensory, you know, um, and and psychological safety as well. Mm -hmm. So that comes from the education and that's why I am so adamant about educating young people but also the work that I do in the corporate organisations to help shift that culture of being more inclusive, but being able to challenge a lot of those ideas that we've been brought up with and where that stems from, where that comes from, so that we can understand our own ideas and perspectives and how that is sometimes influencing our decisions and our ideas and therefore how that influences a younger generation. So I think that, that, you know, the Dubai government, that in the UAE, there is so much progress taking place. In the four years that I've been here, I am honestly just astounded with how positive the you know the infrastructure and the the laws and the processes and the systems are that are supporting people of determination and we should be very very proud of that. Mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you if you've got any advice for someone who
2: is feeling excluded for being for being different or even a parent who is perhaps concerned about their child going into school or social situations um, what do you wish you'd known or what do you wish that you know maybe your parents or teachers that you community was aware of at that time?
1: Communication is so vital. And so for any parents or for any young person who is struggling and feeling though that they're the different one, please try and find somebody that you trust to be able to talk to. So for a lot of schools, you know, they do have teachers and, and, and people that are working in well-being and inclusion. We need to make sure we're having conversations with all of those teaching staff to be able to best have access to those processes and policies and procedures that mm-hmm. are in place. Often we don't know that they exist because we're too afraid to ask. And if we don't ask, we don't get. And it really is about making sure that we give ourselves that voice and being able to understand that so many other people would benefit from us using our voice as well Mm -hmm. and so you might be struggling but there are so many other people who are also struggling with these particular issues.
2: So there are three books out so yes. talk us through them and, and then I want to hear what else you're
1: working on because I, I know you, you never stop. So talk, about, <laughs> talk to us about the three Just Jessica books first. The first one is Jessica Goes to School and this was a really important one because I felt that that was where a lot of the focus was for me as a young child and where I felt excluded and where I felt that perhaps there needed to be a lot more support. So Jessica Goes to School, again, is a beautiful story about friendship and acceptance and none of these books are specifically for people with a disability or children with special needs. It's about beautiful stories and beautiful books that are beautifully illustrated as well to be able to carry that story all the way through. The second book is Jessica Goes Swimming. So for those who don't know, I swam for Australia for about 10 years and I was at my school swimming carnival and I won the 50 metres freestyle and I beat all the girls and boys with two hands. And in that moment, I realised I was being acknowledged for what I could do rather than what people thought I couldn't do and swimming has had such a profound impact on my life and so obviously it made sense that that would be the next book. And then the third book um, is Jessica Joins a Band. I was so fortunate to have such amazing teachers when I was in high school um, who allowed me to think beyond my own limits perhaps and this one particular music teacher, we were learning to play the drums and I thought there's no way I can do that. And he said, absolutely, absolutely you can. And so I practised and I think it's the drummer of Def Leppard who only has <laughs> yeah, he one does, hand. That's right. And so for me, I was like, well, if he can do it, I can do it. Now, I'm not... A- a fantastic musician by any means, but it just allowed me to create another story that also emphasised the importance of having allies and having mentors in our life and the profound impact that that can play. And lastly, how can people work with you and what are you working on right now? I am doing a lot of corporate work around uh, disability inclusion workshops, being able to, as I mentioned earlier, create a change in the culture and, and workplace environments that benefit all employees, not just people who feel as though they're part of a minority group. Um, And then obviously uh, reading to as many children as I can around the UAE and the world. Thank you so much. I know how busy you
2: are. So I really do appreciate you coming in. Now, the books can be found on Amazon. I just saw you in the window of Bookworm the other day as part of their back to school display. Um, What's the best way of getting in touch with
1: you, Jess, if people do want to find out more about the work you have done and, and what you're working on right now? Certainly, people can follow me on Instagram, jessicasmith27, and you can also reach out via my website, which is jessicasmith.com.au. There you go. If you send me the word Jess,
2: I'll send you those links so you can find out more. Thank you so much. Thank you. Speak to you soon, I hope. She's been talking about the importance of inclusion there with Paralympic swimmer and author Jessica Smith and really the role of responsibilities that we have as parents to educate our children on kindness, on acceptance and one Dubai mum is on a bit of a mission to spread awareness of bullying after an upsetting time in her family's life. Noor Al-Hadar is joining us live on the line. How are you? Hi Helen, good, good. How are you? I'm really well. Thank you for joining us. And I think it's. Uh,
5: Thanks for having me.
2: It's it's a really tough topic because no one likes to think of their child being bullied. No one likes to think of their child being a bully. But it's absolutely rampant, despite what some schools might say. Um, It happens in uh, in all in all walks of life, and it doesn't discriminate in terms of you know gender, class, uh, age, culture, and in fact, age. We're just talking about adult bullying recently um i'd love to start if you wouldn't mind by you telling us a little bit about your family
5: um yeah so just talking about our experience um it's been a bit tough last year uh the whole of last year actually um having my daughter come in after school like crying and mm you know, um, the temper that has changed in a different person from my daughter, like the daughter I know. Um, And, you know, and and I tried to explore the issue and not what was going on. Sometimes she was willing to talk, sometimes not. She would just go and isolate herself. Um, And, you know, trying to, I I, I really tried hard to get out of her what was really going on Mm -hmm. because she was a bit, worried that I would because she knows me and she was a bit worried that if she talks to me I'll go and actually do something about You're
2: it. You march into that school. Can I just ask how old is your is your daughter or how old was she at uh, this point? She's she's
5: 12. Okay. Yeah. So so she moved to to you know to uh middle school and this is she was absolutely fine up until year 6 but mm. now moving to year 7 was just a nightmare.
2: Oh. Thank you for being so generous speaking about this. I think it's so important. I think a lot of parents feel a, a, a bit of shame around, you know, a child being being bullied and, and kind of going, well, you know, why why has this happened to us? And as I said, it's it's so, so common. And I think it's a very challenging conversation to try and broach with our children. Because as, as you're rightly saying there, you know, that mother instinct kicking in that something wasn't right you know that she that she wasn't happy when did she start to open up about what she was going through and and what was she saying?
5: Uh, Well you know she started having tummy ache in the morning before going to school she she started crying like after when I go to drop her off she she, she's like crying after I pick her up she's like crying I I was like you know you cannot carry on like this Mm. I really need to know what's going on. Um, because this is not affecting only you, this is affecting all of us as a family, Mm -hmm. because, you know, we're affected by what's affecting you. And, you know, and she started to open up and talk about it. And, you know, the more I heard about it, the more I was like, oh my God, how can this happen? There's no way this is happening. Um, and it was kind of tricky for me because I had to strike that balance between trying to interfere and, you know, solve the issue. And at the same time, I didn't want her to be more exposed. Because, you know, kids, mm-hmm. When once they hear their mom, you know, the, the mom of the kid is talking about this, they are actually, they become more mean. And they become like, they, they would tell her, oh, you tell me your mom everything. Oh, mm-hmm. go cry to your mom. Um, you know.
2: So, so what action did you decide to take then? What, what was your next step?
5: Um, so I decided to get in touch with the school. Um, I've sent emails. I had meetings. Uh, I tried to identify those uh, kids who were actually part of the issue and speak to their parents. I, I you know, try to get phone numbers, um, everything. i speaking to the parents. Some parents were really, you know, apologetic and we're trying to be helpful, but others were like, Oh, you know, I don't understand why you're making a fuss about it because they are just children. Mm-hmm. And, you know, children, you know, it's just, it doesn't <sighs> come from a mean place or a bad place. Uh, it was just a joke, you know, he didn't mean anything about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, speaking to the school, um, to be honest, it wasn't, there wasn't that response I really wanted from the school. Because uh, I expect, I was expecting more. I was expecting like some investigation to take place. You know, I was expecting my daughters to see that there is some action being taken. Uh, so I kept, you know, I kept insisting, and I was like, "Sorry, this cannot carry on." She, she, she has been sick from it, physically, emotionally.
2: It's it's heartbreaking as a parent, isn't it, to try and get that balance because that you know that mama bear and dad instinct kicks in, you know, all we want to do is protect our children. But as you, as you're saying there, you, you you have to be the advocate, you know, you have to be the one sometimes to, to step up and make people accountable. How was she feeling about going back to school this last week? No, how was um, how how she feeling about getting back into that situation?
5: Yeah, so, so basically she's been, like, asking me to move to another school. And, like, I've tried to... You know, find somewhere convenient, but it wasn't possible or affordable. It wasn't possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, give it a try because the school at the end decided to move her to another class. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said, give it a try and see maybe you're going to be okay this year. And she said, but you need to promise me that if it's not going to be okay, I cannot carry on. Mm-hmm. You know, she reached a point where she was asking me to be homeschooled. Like, Mom, please, I I can do my work at home. I don't really want to go to school. The other thing that I worked on with her is I, to find something that she really loves. She She's really passionate about gymnastics. Um, so, you know, whenever she goes to gymnastics, she says, really, I'm happy. I have friends. I have nice people there. So she, this kind of helped her to... Focus on something that was that made her happy. Yes. So it's just a bit of advice to parents. You know, try to find something that the kid loves, and just to divert a bit from the, the bad place they're in, mm-hmm. and make them you know spend their energy there, enjoy being there, and feel like feel appreciated and loved.
2: Absolutely, boosting their confidence outside of the classroom is is so so yeah. key, in, in encouraging those passions. Um, yeah. I saw a beautiful video on your Instagram, which is how we connected, um, really talking about your message to, to other parents. Tell us a little bit yeah. about what responsibility do you think parents have when it comes to educating our children about kindness and, and modelling kindness as well?
5: Yeah. Um, so my message is twofold. One, to parents to speak, to talk to their children, because sometimes maybe children are not aware how impactful their words can be. Um, So parents, to talk to their children, uh, explain to them that, you know, words can hurt and someone can actually be deeply affected by what you say to them. The other thing is, please, children, do not comment on someone's appearance. Uh, And if they are different from you, you need to accept them. We're all unique. We're all different. Do not comment on them being short or tall or fat or, you know, whatever. Uh, Just, you know, Deal with them as being a human being according to how they deal with you, not according to how they appear to you. Mm. Um, and the other advice is to, to parents to keep an eye on their children as well and try to detect any behavior that they can see is not normal, is not usual. Because kids do not really open up, do not talk about what they're feeling inside. It's really important to keep an eye on them. You know, ask them how their day has been um try to have an open conversation let them trust you that they can you know open up to you um and and do not neglect that because it could you know have very bad effects i couldn't agree there were more. bad effects on my daughter which i cannot talk about because i really don't want exposed to expose her more of course but it can really go to a very bad place
2: i think that idea about keeping open communication and and being someone that they can trust is so so crucial there's this quote that I come back to all the time as a parent which is if you don't listen eagerly to the little things when they're little they won't tell you the big stuff when they're big because all of it has been big and I think for them to be able to know that they can come to you and you know even if they say don't do anything about this I just want (laughs) I just want to tell you what I've experienced today to have that relationship and it sounds like you've got a beautiful relationship with your daughter and um, an awful lot to be proud of there so Thank you so so much,
5: and also to not do not to not judge them, mm-hmm. because if they feel they're being judged, this is when they will, you know, refrain from saying anything to their Quite parents. Right.
2: Um, thank you so much for being with us today. Um, you can see your initial video in full on your Instagram. It is Dubai Mum Diaries. Um, and wishing you and your daughter all the very best for the coming term. Um, truly, I truly mean that. And thank you for spreading and. This message and hopefully making a lot of parents think today about how we talk to our kids about kindness and how we how we model that, how we how we go around the world with, with kindness and an open heart and non-judgment. And thank you. you no know, really, really appreciate your time. Take care.
5: Thanks for having me, Helen. All Thanks the best. So much. Thank
2: you. And messages coming in saying what a beautiful message. She sounds like an amazing mum crying, just listening to her. And I'm not even a parent yet. Pregnant with my first little girl. Lots of love and prayers for her. Well, all the very best with your pregnancy. Talking community now, we know an awful lot of people that can talk the talk, but can they walk the walk? That's exactly what our next guest is doing. Farah is the founder of Girls Who Walk. A net walking community joining us now. How are you?
6: I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. I'm uh, really excited. Well, <laughs> I'm
2: really, I'm really excited to learn a little bit more about what you've been doing and the why. To be honest, so girls who walk. It sounds, it sounds pretty self-explanatory. But tell us <laughs> a little bit about where the idea came from and, and what
6: gap, I guess, you were looking to address. So, as you know, social walking clubs haven't been, you know, it's not a new idea. There's running clubs, biking clubs. And I was uh, just a new mom. Three months later into my maternity leave, I thought, you know, I would rather um, stay at home. Uh, and I left my Kareem job, which I loved. It was a very tough decision. And I started a WhatsApp group uh, with like 70, 80 girls. And I thought, you know what? I don't want to feel disconnected. I'm a new mom. I'm going through a lot. I want to feel Um, some kind of support by others, uh, let's empower each other, uh, just have a good time with our babies. Uh, So the first Sunday I remember, there was one girl, one of my friends who showed up, Suzanne, and uh, it was just me and her. And I'm like, you know what, this is this is fun. It's fine. I I can keep going. I'm not going to give up. I started an Instagram page where I uh, posted, you know, about the event, I started adding people so they can see the page, um, especially women who are into fitness, like from gyms or just friends of friends. And the second Sunday, there was two girls. And then the third Sunday, there were four girls. So it kept on growing from there. Two months later in March, it was Women's Week. And I decided to invite my friend Rula from uh, her perfume business. It's called Lore. To tell us a little about her story. I never really got to hear it. And then she started sharing, you know, how it all began, why she did this and um, how she overcame some challenges. And there were like six other girls walking with us, listening to her story. And I thought to myself, you know, this is very, very interesting. And it's a great learning experience as well as a good networking opportunity for girls who don't know um, much or just want to, you know, socialize. Mm -hmm. And then I decided to invite more women, either entrepreneurs or female leaders to come and share their business journeys, share any advice they like. It's a very casual walk and talk kind of thing. And we walk around for like 45 minutes. um, And the types of women that are coming in, they're amazing. Some of them are new to Dubai. They're just looking for new friends. Some of them are looking for jobs. So there are some HR ladies who are there to kind of help and support um, and some are just there to, you know, make friends. <laughs>
2: well, it's, I mean, the community's grown so, so much now. You've got close to 7,000 followers on Instagram. Yes. And it's a it's a free <laughs> weekly walk on a Sunday. How many, and the minute you're inside, uh, we've had a message going where. So the minute you're inside, but outside soon, how many people are coming on walks at the minute? For?
6: So now that we moved indoors to Dubai Mall, it's around 25 to 30 girls. Every Sunday we walk together. On kite beach, when it was winter, there we had uh, more than fifty girls showing up. Wow. Um, so I'm really excited for winter to come around. I think we're expecting more ladies. <laughs> and
2: what kind of stories have you seen in terms of? Well, you mentioned jobs there. Whether it's you know business or, or friendships blossom.
6: Yeah, so I know that some girls just started going out to dinners with each other, they're making friends. Others who have similar industries, like in the beauty product, I have my friend Judy, who has Loris, organic product, and she connected with another lady who has a a beauty platform called Glamazel. And, you know, uh, she said, why not display your uh, beauty products on our website and we can help each other. And that was really great. Like she, she came next week. She told me, Farah, this was amazing. Um, I met a girl from your group and we're connected now on business terms and stuff. So I'm happy. Like there are different success stories like that. And there was a girl who came. Uh, she had just graduated to university and was thinking of opening her own business. And the same industry that another speaker who came and talked about like the protein and the health bars. And I guess she got kind of got inspired and the lady like kinda of pushed her and said, you know, I can help you, any support you need and then from there, she launched her own uh, product well, a few yeah. months later. Yeah, and she tells me like this has been uh, the greatest idea, greatest initiative um, because you just come in and it's very casual. There's no formalities. It's totally free. There's no commitment. And I'm loving that mothers are also coming with their babies. So even for me, it's nice to see other mothers and connecting with them, having mm-hmm. you know my own little baby as well. Well, mm-hmm. <laughs> I I think this
2: just addresses so many kind of pain points that a lot of women have in dubai and you said that you know you might be brand new to dubai maybe you've been here for years but you know it's a transient place and friends have left or you're in a new life stage you're yeah. looking for other you know mum friends with no cost attached i think that can be a, a real issue for a lot of mums going i want to go okay. to an event but you know the, the cost is is crazy um how long do the walks last It's not not a big hike.
6: (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. It's usually 10 to 11 a.m. in the mornings on Sundays. Um... Yeah, it's very brief. We we introduce each other. We talk for a bit. At the beginning, we network, get our coffees, and then we start walking for like 45 minutes.
2: We should give your husband some credit because he introduced the idea of net walking <laughs> as opposed to networking. Yes,
6: somewhat. If you're listening, thank yeah. you for that. You're, you're amazing.
2: <laughs> um, we've had a number of people asking for your details. So um, the best thing to do is probably the Instagram. Would that be right? Yes, Girls Who Walk Dubai. Girls Who Walk Dubai. Send me the word walk. I will send you the link. So your next walk is this weekend and do you need to register how does it work
6: yeah it's every sunday you can just click on the apply now button to register uh, on my instagram page and you can just show up with your baby your kids your friends whoever you like uh, and we walk together so i kind of also called it like linkedin on legs because it's where you can also network if you have any um, ideas or anything that you just want to come and share or promote your businesses as well like it's a it's a platform an inclusive platform to just empower each other and inspire in some ways or another well I think
2: you're doing an amazing thing um, I think it sort of sounds like a really wonderful addition to Dubai so Thank you th- if, as I said if you want details I've had Four, five six people asking already in this in like a second. <laughs> so you might be getting more numbers this Sunday morning. If you send me the word walk, I will send you the details of Girls Who Walk Dubai this Sunday morning. And yeah, as far says, if you are someone who wants to meet people or indeed you want to share your business idea, your story um as a guest speaker, then um by all means reach out to her. Thank you so so much. Thank we'll you for I'll speak having to you me. very soon indeed. Um Send it, send it. That's it. The word walk four zero zero one, uh, or on the ARN Play app, and you've got the WhatsApp too. I will send you the link, and you can join this growing community right here in the UAE.